Dear Lord, we thank you for this Sunday gathering and this space and all of these friends, new and old. We thank you for the chance to hear your word spoken to us. We thank you for Vince and the work that he's put into preparing for us this morning. We, we pray that you'll bless him and his efforts, give him a sound mind and the words to speak. We pray that you'd give us ears and hearts to hear uh, your word spoken to us through Vince, and that you would bless the rest of our time together. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Joanna. We are on our second week of looking at Samson, one of the most colorful characters in the entire Bible. And uh, last week we began talking about him and how the story of Samson shows how the weak become strong and the strong becomes weak. And this won't surprise many of you, but uh, Samson has always reminded me a bit of myself. Um, not for the reasons you may think. Uh, Samson's, Samson's greatest enemy is himself. And uh, it's like a virus. My, my cousin Jeff Garner, who was here and spoke um, several weeks ago, was working on his doctoral thesis a few years back. And uh, he, he told me the story. He watched in horror as the computer screen that he had spent weeks and weeks and weeks working on this doctoral thesis um, all of a sudden began to change in front of his eyes. And it went blank and his computer shut off and he lost at the very tail end his entire doctoral thesis because somebody had made a virus. Now, I know that that's not something we experience as much nowadays. They've made computers a lot better, but how many of you guys remember back a few years ago when that was a thing? Viruses, they're a nightmare. Here's the deal. Samson has a virus. Uh-huh. And his problem, his problem isn't that he doesn't, he doesn't have the physical strength to save Israel. He does. The problem is he has an, an internal weakness. He has this virus that sabotages him and turns him into uh, somebody who takes something that's great. It's a gift from God. It's his strength, and it becomes destructive and broken. And that's, that's why I feel like Samson. Question, do you ever look back on your life and you say, why did I do that? What, what would my life look like today if I hadn't done that thing, if I hadn't been there that night, if I hadn't hung out with those friends? What would my life look like if I had just stayed home? Here's what I want to show you today. Every morning when we wake up and we look in the mirror, we're looking at our own worst enemy. And the problem is not that God's power is not abundant and available to you. The problem is that you and I are our own worst enemy. And specifically today, I want to talk to you men, because we're talking about Samson. Honestly, there may be nothing more important than you ever hear than what we're talking about here today, because some of you have sabotaged and are sabotaging your own life. And ladies, don't feel like the story of Samson leaves you out. Many Old Testament scholars have dialed in the fact that you know, Samson really represents all of Israel. Anybody reading the story of Samson at this time would notice all of these parallels between Samson and the story of Israel. For instance, you know, Samson uh, had a miraculous birth to an older couple who was barren. And so, you know, just like Manoah and his mother, it happened with Abraham 
and Sarah, right, with Isaac and Jacob, both God took something weak and made it incredibly strong. Both were given a very special law code that was to keep them separate from the cultures around them. With Samson, it was the Nazarite code, right? And with Israel, it was the Mosaic law code. Samson chased foreign women just like Israel chased foreign gods. So Samson's story tells Israel's story. And if you listen today, I bet you'll find that it's also talking about your own story as well. Last week, we talked about Samson's birth and youth. This week, we're going to look at his life and death. So you guys ready? We're going to dive in. Cool. Remember, just a brief recap of last week. Samson is promised by an angel to an older barren couple. Yes, barren, not barren. Sorry. I read my own word and said barren. It's like they were barons? Okay, sorry. Uh, He's a miracle baby. He's going to be something super special. He's a Nazarite to God from the time he's born, which means no haircuts, no alcohol, and no touching dead bodies. And almost immediately, we see him breaking that. The first story we see about Samson's life is he sees this hot-looking Philistine girl, and he tells his parents, get her for me. And um, his parents say, why a Philistine girl? Why not somebody from your own faith who worships the same God as you? And his response in verse 3 is, get her for me. She pleases me. If I had to boil all of Samson's struggle, this virus, down to one phrase, that would be it. Samson's primary driver is he always does what pleases him. right? And he's not going to let anyone get in the way of what he wants. Not his parents, not their wisdom, not God, nobody. He's always going to follow his heart. He's always going to be true to himself. It's like a bad Disney movie. <laughs> right? He rejects his parents' wisdom, you know what I mean? He's just like, what's my heart telling me to do? Except that this story shows where that line of thinking usually actually leads. Right? When we follow our heart. What's the Bible say about our hearts? It, they are deceitful and desperately wicked. We don't even know them. Right? And so... Guys, don't follow your hearts. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Verse 4 makes a little comment that lets you see the bigger picture of what God is doing in this. Look at verse 4. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. What does this mean? God was behind this decision? Well, it doesn't mean that Samson's decision was a good one or a righteous one or even a wise one. But just that God was using this decision. God was using Samson even in his brokenness. And let me step back for a moment and paint a bigger picture here, because I think it's crucial for us to understand for the rest of this sermon. Um, Israel has grown really comfortable in their captivity. They're not crying out, like we talked about last week. They're not even crying out for deliverance. They're not asking God to save them. This is the greatest threat they've ever faced. It's elimination, not by extermination, but elimination by assimilation, right? Because normally when the people of God face extermination, they rise up, they pray, they fall on their knees, and God moves in and acts on their behalf, right? That's what we've seen over and over through the book of Judges. But now, Israel's not even asking God for help. They've been seduced. They've been uh, loved and suckered into this surrounding culture right? Because this culture has made them comfortable, and they've been drawn into the power structures of the world. 
Same thing happens to us, right? And pretty soon, we're being captivated by God's enemies instead of being captivated by God's love. That's where Israel finds himself. That's where Samson finds himself, struggling with this ongoing seduction. Let me ask you, is that what God saved Israel for? To just lose their identity to become like everyone else? No way, right? Well, let me ask you, what did God save Israel for? Why did he rescue them out of Egypt? What did he say he wanted to see them do and be? What's that? A blessing. A blessing to who? The nations. Israel's supposed to be different from the nations to stand out and be a blessing to the nations. Yeah, what else? He says, you're going to be a people for my own possession. You remember that? You're going to be reserved and special and set aside for God and holy. And people surrounding Israel are supposed to look on to their life together and see the good news of grace and God's love played out every day in the way their culture works together. They have to be different, but instead they've lost all that. They've lost their identity as God's people, and they're just living like everyone else. Now they're comfortable in captivity, so God needs to stir up some conflict. Enter Samson, a hot-blooded, testosterone-ridden, impulsive meathead on roid rage, right? And before I move on, do you see how God sometimes does that in our lives? That we get really comfortable, our heart gets way too knit into this world, too enticed by all the trappings of this world, whether, whatever it is, whether it be popularity or, or money or comfort, and God stirs up some trouble. Out of love, this is what God has to do sometimes, right? Sometimes God graciously sends trouble along just to remind us of who we are. See, when we, when we deal with another culture, and I preached on this in our counterculture series. I'm just going to tack back into it real quick. There's kind of three main responses of God's people to culture generally. There's fortification, domination, and assimilation, right? Fortification. Culture's bad. We're holy. We're leaving culture. We're going to be completely separate, right? Domination. Culture's bad. Let's take it over. Let's get our guy into office. Here's the voter guide, right? Or thirdly, assimilation. Culture, is it bad, really? I don't know. You know, and we just kind of become like culture. So what's our response if it's not fortification, domination, or assimilation? Our response, our calling is to do what Jesus did, incarnation. We're supposed to live out the ways of God through our life together and not allow the, the values of the culture around us to pollute us, but at the same time, to be present enough to love them and show them the ways of God in our life together. Right? You tracking? And so Israel hasn't done this. And what's interesting about this part of Israel's history is not only um, are they assimilated, but there's nobody even fortifying or dominating anymore or incarnating. They're just the whole nation has assimilated into Philistine culture. So God has to stir things up. But God loves them too much to leave them this way. God is working through all of this to bring them back to himself. And some of you need to be assured of something today. That just like Samson, there's not one stray molecule in this entire universe that God is not using for the completion of his purposes for you and for this world and for his glory. Amen?
So the next, the next episode is the lion and the honey incident we tacked on last week. Long story short, Samson throws a kegger. Um, and all his buddies that are partying with him are Philistines, so that tells you something, right? And he's, he's getting ready to head down to this bachelor party, and a lion attacks him. And uh, he tears the lion and says, as one tears a young goat. I'll tell you, after um, all of my extensive Hebrew study this past week, I still don't know what that means. <laughs> Apparently, it's just what they did back then. You know, as one tears a young goat. What are you guys doing on game night? What would you do for Veterans Day? The usual. Played some cornhole, did some fireworks, tore some goats. You know, that's, <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, a few days later, he's passing by that same spot, and he sees the carcass of the lion. There's a beehive in it. He reaches in, which is breaking his vow, dead carcass, right? Reaches in, gets some honey, tastes it. The honey inspires a poem or a, a, a riddle. And so he goes down to this party to the 30 Philistines. He has an idea. He says, hey, guys, here's a riddle. If you guess the riddle, then you each, or I'll buy each of you a new cloak, a uh, new set of clothes. But if, if you don't guess the riddle, each of you has to buy me one, right? So he's excited. Well, the Philistine guys go to his bride-to-be, and they say, hey, so you better find this out. Find out the riddle and tell us. Otherwise, you're dead, and we're going to kill your dad, too, and burn down your house. So she's terrified. So she pulls the oldest trick in the book. She goes to Samson. She starts to cry. She says, hey, look, we are starting out our marriage with secrets. We are going to go on a talk show, okay, and deal with all of our stuff on TV. Um, and so finally he says, okay, I'll, I'll tell you. So he tells her, and, and then um, Samson, he, he caves, and the Philistines come back to him, and they solve the riddle. And then Samson, the hopeless romantic, says this, this other verse I love, 18, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. What a way with words this guy has. <laughs> and then verse 19 catches us up. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took the spoil and gave the garments to those he had told his riddle to. In a hot anger, he went back to his father's house. So he kills 30 Philistines so that he, he can pay his debt. Question, why would God empower him to do something so petty and so vindictive. It's because God has a bigger plan, a bigger purpose in all this, and we're going to see what it is. Chapter 15, we're just going to kind of walk verse by verse. After some days, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. There you have it. <laughs> Date night. <laughs> BYOG. <Yeah. laughs> and and he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. And her father said, uh, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion, his best man. Right? Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? And Samson, it gets ticked, right? So he says, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So he knew last time he was being petty and vindictive, but this time he feels justified in all this, right? Um, so Samson went and caught 300 foxes. How did he do that? <laughs> and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of their tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go in the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire 
to the standing grain and the olive orchards. Now, as far as practical jokes go, that one is awesome, right? <laughs> he ties foxes together and lights their rear ends on fire and has them go burn Samson was here into the grain fields, right? Not awesome? Not sensitive. Sorry, I should, I should be preaching this in the South somewhere. They'd be like, that's awesome. Right? We're San Diego. Everybody's like. <laughs> so the Philistines retaliate to Samson's retaliation, right, by killing the girl and her father. So Samson said, I swear I will be avenged on you. So now he's going to retaliate again. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow which is basically a Hebrew way of saying he opened up a can on them, okay? And um, then he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Edom, which is a small Israelite town. Well, the Philistines come to Edom, and uh, they say to the Israelites there, verse 10, we have come to bind Samson and do to him as he did to us. See this broken cycle of revenge and retaliation? Then 3,000 men of Judah, small army, went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are our rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? See, they don't want deliverance. They want peace. They're comfortable in their captivity. Don't mess this up for us, Samson. The situation's working out great for us. We don't want deliverance. Verse 12, Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into the Philistines' hands. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and with it he struck a thousand men. So he, yeah, he does that whole hip and thigh thing on them. Right? It's pretty cool, of course, like, except for the fact that he's touching a dead animal again, right? So this is, this is one of these things. And then, I love verse 16, and Samson saying, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've struck down a thousand men. And as soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. How cool is that? I mean, it's not, yeah. It's like an epic battle rap, right? And then drop the mic. That's right. I would try to make an epic battle rap out of that right now, but none of you would enjoy it. This sermon would turn really quickly. Nope, not doing it. Okay. Chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went down to Gaza. There he saw a prostitute and went into her. Whoa, now he's not just with a Philistine girl. He's with a Philistine prostitute. And he's in Gaza, which is now the capital, you know, FYI, of Philistia. And his sin is getting even more brazen. And the Philistines find out, verse 2, they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Now, what lesson is there for us in this? Nothing. That's just cool. When a guy rips the city gate off and carries it half a mile, you write that down. That's amazing, right? Verse 4, after this, he loved a woman whose name was who? 
Hey there, Delilah. Right? No. <laughs> See? See, it turned. In Hebrew, Delilah sounds like the word for night, darkness. If you go back through the opening verses of this chapter, you see this word night keep recurring. Night in Hebrew literature represents darkness. So now Samson is operating in the darkness. And now he's falling in love with Delilah, who means nighttime, who means darkness. And now he's getting into bed with the darkness. You see what's happening? This is the end. Verse 5. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Who's that remind you of? Anybody else in this story betrayed by friends for silver? Verse 6, So Delilah says to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, he's just playing with her, (laughs) then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So he lets her bind him with these bowstrings, verse 9. Then she had men lying in ambush in the inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So he might as well have been wrapped in toilet paper, right? (laughs) Verse 10, Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me. And told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. So he says, okay, it's not bowstrings. It's actually new ropes. So she ties him up and she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Verse 12. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Same deal, right? 13. Then he said to her, if you weave uh, the seven locks of my head with a web and fasten it tightly to a pen, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Well, wait a minute. We're getting closer. Now he's talking about the hair. See that? Well, again, she does it. She weaves his hair into the loom, and she wakes him up. The Philistines are upon you, and he jumps up, and he rips the loom off the wall, and he's swinging it around, attached to his hair, saying, where, where? You know, he's ready to fight. (laughs) Verse 15, and she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day and urged him his soul was vexed to death hasn't samson learned this lesson yet why would he do this i'll tell you why guys are stupid (laughs) write that down (laughs) he doesn't have the strength to withstand her pleasure every guy wants harmony in his home and that's a good thing but some of us want harmony so badly we will cave when we shouldn't Verse 17, and he told her all his heart and said to her, razors never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my great strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up with her and brought the money in their hands, and she made him sleep on her knees. Do you see how overconfident he's grown? Not only did he tell her his true secret, but he just went ahead and fell asleep right there on her knees. He's not worried at all. He's confident that, you know, I drank wine. I touched dead things. If she cuts my hair, my strength's not going to leave me. It's my strength. God's about to wake him up. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. 20. 
And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Like Israel, he didn't even know he needed deliverance. Verse 21, and the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. Actually, they probably would have burned his eyes first and then scraped the sockets clean. That's how they did it. And they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And there he ground at the mill in prison. Samson here is showing us the trajectory of sin. It starts fun. Always. The old country preacher said it best. He said, if somebody tells you sin ain't fun, then they ain't doing it right. right? Sin, sin always starts out fun. It's all strength and beer parties and practical jokes and prostitutes and Delilah. It just doesn't end that way. Right? There's an old sermon outline uh, from a youth pastor that said, uh, sin binds, sin blinds, and sin grinds. And that, you know what? The reason that sticks with you is because um, it's true. Now, even though it's a little bit of a cheesy outline. Um, it's the truth. It may not, like it starts out fun, but before you know it, you've lost your vision. You can't find your way. You're groping around in the dark, and now you're a prisoner, and you can't escape sin. And pretty soon you're just grinding away captive. Instead of being captivated by God's love, you've become a captive to God's enemies. Verse 22. My favorite verse. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Verse 23. We'll, get, we'll come back to that one at the end. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson our enemy into our hands. So there's this big party. They bring Samson out. He's going to perform some tricks for us, right? And when the people saw him, they praised their God. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison and he entertained them. And they made him stand between these two pillars. Verse 26, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. And Samson called out to God, and said, oh, Lord God, I know I've sinned. I'm here for my sin. One more time, let me be avenged against the Philistines. Verse 29, and Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. And then he bowed, and with all his strength, the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it and on him as well. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his entire life. What do we learn from Samson's life? If Samson is supposed to represent all of God's people, what can we learn from this? Three things. One, we are our own worst enemy. The problem is not that God hasn't given us grace or power or blessing. The problem is we sabotage it because we have a virus. Let me break down Samson's weakness into the four categories we started last week, right? Four components. First of all, he's impulsive. Samson is driven by his lusts, by his stomach, by his anger. Guys, this one thing will wreck your life. I was reading an article this past week on texting and driving, and it said a lot of stuff that we already probably all know and would agree with. Um, and just a stat, in case you haven't heard we are 23 times more likely to have an accident if you're typing on your phone while you're driving. You're more likely to have an accident texting on your phone than you are 
Um, it impairs your response time more than alcohol and marijuana combined. But people know that. We know that, and we do it anyway. I did it yesterday on the way up to the wedding because, you know, I've got to study. So I'm, like, driving on the 15, glancing down at my phone. Why? Y'all can, my DNA group, y'all got to hold me accountable, I know. And, but why do we do it? I think the reason why we do it is because in that moment when that text buzzes, when we get that notification, we have an impulse to check things. That's what the article was saying. We want to see what so-and-so texts. We want to respond. We want to respond to that post. We want to like that thing. The main point of this is um, don't, it's obviously not just don't text and drive, right? Don't do that either. But the main point of this is, it's a metaphor. If you don't learn to deny yourself and obey the will of God for your life, you're going to wreck your life. Proverbs says it this way, a person without self-control is like a city without or with broken down walls. You know, in that day, city walls protected you from wild animals and criminals and thieves and murderers and the enemy coming in and just doing whatever they wanted. So a city needs walls. Otherwise, the enemy can just walk right in and, and ravage you like he did Samson. And a person can know all the right things. But if you're given to your impulses, if you have no self-control, then you're like a city with broken down walls. And the enemy can just come in and ravage your life. You're giving him free reign to come in and take over. There's a study, the uh, Dunedin study in New Zealand. I love this study. I was reading about it recently, where they, they tracked over 1,000 kids for four decades. Sociology study. 40 years. And they, they're tracking to see, you know... Um, and putting them through all kinds of tests and stuff. And the scientists said they were shocked to discover that when it came to these, their health, their material wealth, and relational harmony, one factor mattered more than any other. Guess what it was? Impulse control. Whether they can control their impulses. It was more significant than their social class, than their wealth of their family, than their IQ. And this is huge for us in America, right? Especially in, in SoCal, where we can have whatever we want, whenever we want it. Instant gratification. Listen, you have to decide for yourself if you're going to be driven by God's desires for you or by your desires. Ask yourself this question. What is your primary criteria in making decisions? It pleases you or it pleases God? Samson hoped his decisions would please God, but he made sure that his decisions pleased him, right? You have to decide, are you going to be spirit-led or desire-led? Because you can't be both, okay? If you're going to follow Jesus, there are going to be times in your life where God's will bumps up against your will. And are you going to say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done? Or are you going to say, my kingdom come, my will be done? Some of you are being ravaged by the enemy because you cannot control your anger or your lusts or your impulses. Desire speaks and you move. And you're like a city that has broken down walls. Two, compromising. Samson treated the commands that God gave him casually. He didn't mind breaking them. I'm sure he said to himself, hey, what can this hurt? Other people are doing it. Everybody else is drinking wine. He drinks wine, doesn't lose his strength, touches dead bodies, doesn't lose his strength. It's just a haircut. How could uh, my hair be tied to my strength anyway? doesn't even make sense. So he doesn't care. Don't we do that? 
Honestly, don't we, when we evaluate God's commands given to us in Scripture, isn't that the same question we ask? Here's my question to you today, and it's a heavy one. What if the harm was not in the action itself, but in driving out the presence of God from your life? That's what Samson did. What if your compromises in your career or your family or your finances remove God's blessings from them? It's not that God is forsaking you, but that you're continually walking away from him. That breach of integrity is, is it that bad? Other people, you got to do this in the business world to get ahead. Everybody else does it. Little porn, it's harmless pleasure. I'm not hurting anybody. My wife doesn't know. I'm not even married. It doesn't matter, right? This little fling, I can get away with it. Samson shows you, do not take the blessing and presence of God for granted. It can leave you. Don't take God's grace for granted. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is a teacher that gives us the power to rise above sin. And we're going to talk about that more at the end when we get into the gospel. As you hear that today, maybe you say, dude, whoa. (laughs) Why are you drilling down so hard, man? I thought God was love. (laughs) I thought, didn't God say he'll never leave you or forsake you? Isn't that what he said? (laughs) All right, and yes. And we have example after example in Scripture of God turning someone over to their desires so eventually they'll be saved. Don't we see that? Over and over. Sometimes the most loving thing God can do for us is to turn us over to our desires and to our idols so that eventually we will see the end of them and turn back to him. But why go through that? Why suffer? All the loss and the pain that comes from pushing God's presence out of your life. Sure, he'll save you in the end. But how much abundant life are you willing to lose while you're chasing this false life out on your own terms? Three, Samson is isolated and unteachable. Nobody could persuade him. His parents tried. He didn't care. Who else tried? You guys remember in the story? Nobody. He's alone. He's isolated. He's a soloist. You know, he's a one-man Wreck-It Ralph, right? He's just out there doing his thing. Question for you. Are people close enough to your life that they can speak into it? Are you teachable? Are you correctable? Or do you bristle up when people talk to you? How do you respond to criticism? Would those closest to you say you're teachable? Turn to your spouse and ask him, am I teachable? No. <laughs> trying to lead us to repentance. <laughs> ask, ask yourself this. What areas of my life are off limits? You can talk about all this, but don't touch that one. Don't touch my parenting. Don't talk about my business. You don't know my business. Whatever that place is, that is precisely the place the enemy is trying to destroy you. Proverbs says, an isolated man will will always begin to serve himself. Apart from community, you always start making it about you. There's no such thing as an isolated Christian. People who get serious about Jesus get serious about his church. And some of us just show up on Sundays. Listen, God doesn't change your life through a sermon. God changes your life through his godly community that's working out his word throughout the week. Amen? What some of us need to do is act on this today. We need to become a member somewhere. We need to join a GCM. We need to join a ministry team or whatever we're going to call them, Joanna. 
We need to get into a DNA where we can be known as we are and loved and challenged and nurtured. And if not here, if not at New City, that's fine. But find somewhere. Find somewhere and commit. A weak local church is better than being a Lone Ranger believer. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, all right? And if you, anybody ever watched the old show? Tonto saved his bacon more often than not. So, four, Samson was proud. Three ways he was proud. I got to hit this quick. A, he assumed he would never lose his strength. B, he never gave God glory. C, he felt entitled to use his blessings for his own purposes. Do you go through life thinking, oh, I'll always have these gifts, this health, this ability to make money? Or do you remember that every breath, every, every moment is a gift from God? Do you use your gifts to direct more attention to yourself or to God? Do you realize your gifts and opportunities are all on loan from God to use for his purposes? Here's the big question. Are you seeking first? Have you sought first the kingdom of God in your life? If you're looking at college, ask yourself this question. Is God, like, this is not directed at my daughter. (laughs) But hey, God, you've given me these gifts. What do you want me to use them for? Not just what career do I like, what makes the most money, what sounds the most me, right? What are you giving me this for? How can I use this for you? If you have a business, God, how, why have you blessed me with this? What can I use these gifts for? That's the essence of Samson's weakness. This virus destroyed him, destroyed his walk with God and with others, and this virus destroyed the incredible power that God gave him to bless and to save. And that same virus That same profile of weaknesses is a destroyer. The problem is not that the strength is not there. The blessing is there. The the strength is there. God's grace is there. The problem is we sabotage ourselves. Which leads me to number two. Briefly, the world needed someone greater than Samson. I pointed this out in the story last week, right? Samson is the last judge. And this story starts out so well, doesn't it? Miraculous birth. He's going to have all these superpowers. He's like the first X-Man, right? It's amazing. We have all these great expectations for him. Question for you. When you're coming up on a finale, um, don't you get excited? Like if you're reading a book, if I'm reading a book and I'm coming up toward the last chapters, I will shut myself in my room or if that's not open, in my bathroom, away from my three lovely children and finish that book, right? Dad's busy. <laughs> or, you know, or, you know, the... the season finale of whatever is coming up and you throw the party for your friends because it's the season finale. It's exciting. There's nothing worse than a bad season finale. Anybody say lost? I lost seven years of my life and I want them back. (laughs) They were all dead? Okay, okay, sorry. (laughs) Don't watch it. That's the point. So imagine being an Israelite and building up to this point, right? Building up to this point in the story and reading this, and you get here and you're like, that's it? you got to be kidding me. That's the finale? But there's got to be more to this story. And then 1,100 years later, Jesus of Nazareth shows up. And if you're paying attention, you notice all the parallels. Jesus is born miraculously. He has incredible strength and power over demons and disease and death. And he, like Samson, was betrayed by someone who acted as a friend and then handed him over to the Gentile oppressors for silver. He, like Samson, was chained and tortured, and he was put on public display to be mocked. 
He, like Samson, died with his arms outstretched. And like Samson, through that death, when it looked like he was defeated, he actually defeated the enemy. Yeah. There's more. But unlike Samson, right? And this is where it gets really good for me. Jesus was not put in chains for his sins. He was put in chains for mine. Mm. Oh, I love when the gospel creeps up and tugs at your heart right there. Mm. Um, Samson was a strong man, made weak through his own sin. But Jesus was the mighty God who voluntarily took on weakness, my weakness, and became my sin. Mm. He was mocked in our place, persecuted in our place, killed in our place. And that's good news because as we sit here today, we are all like Samson. We're all people who've been driven by our lusts and our stomachs and our anger and our passions. We're people who compromise and we're proud and we live for ourselves. But Jesus was wounded for that. And when we behold that, his love for us in the gospel, it changes us. When you see what Jesus gave for you, that he came to live inside of you and you allow him to infuse you with fortitude of character that makes you strong where Samson was weak. It's when you see that he accepted you freely by grace, even though you lived as Samson, then, then you are freed from the power of the impulses and the insecurity and the pride that make you weak. Point number three. It's never too late to cry out to God. Hmm. When Samson cries out to God, he's as low as anyone can get. He's in Dagon's temple, blind and grinding away, captive, bound because of his sin. That's why verse 22 grabs my heart so much. And the hair of his head had begun to grow again. I love that. God's mercies, like Samson's hair, grew new every morning. They persist where sin has shorn them away. And for many of you, you've shorn away God's mercies from your life. But like Samson's hair, they've grown back. They're growing back every morning. Even in the middle of Dagon's temple, where you might find yourself grinding away blindly, wondering, is there any hope for my future? Hmm. God's grace and mercy are present, reaching for you. One act of faith. God's presence that gave Samson power may have left, but God's grace never left him. Some of you may have seen this uh, video that went viral a few months ago. Um, There's an art gallery in Sarasota Springs, and they uh, set out this piano on the sidewalk, and a homeless man comes up, and he just plays beautifully on it. And he starts playing this song. It's a beautiful song. It's Come Sail Away by Styx, which is beautiful because it's from the 70s. And <laughs> now the U- YouTube uh, video, as of yesterday, has over 37 million views. And it gave him a chance to tell his story. Right? Ex-Marine who went into depression when his wife committed suicide. He turned to alcohol and drugs. And the social workers came and took away his son when he was only three. And with all the attention, they started a GoFundMe page for him. And now has over $60,000 raised for when he gets out of rehab. 
to start a new life. And he's been reunited with his son. Mm. Why is this sitting so heavy with me today? Oof. Hang in there. And uh, for the first time in 15 years, he got to talk to his son on FaceTime. It's so cool. I love stories like that. His old college offered him a scholarship to finish his education. You never know how these stories are going to turn out, though. You know, I know. I'm, I'm realistic. But it's a beautiful symbol in it that that song had never left him. Fifteen years on the streets, lost in drugs and alcohol, there was a song that was still in his heart, like a melody of amazing grace in the background. Growing even when your sin has shorn God's mercies away. God's mercies are with you just like that. I don't know where this guy's story is going to turn out. I hope it turns out well, but I know where your story can turn out today. If you will just turn and embrace the song that God has sung over you, that amazing grace that God has for you, turn and embrace it. Let God change you today. Samson did in, in his final act. He became a hero of the faith. His, his name is recorded in Hebrews chapter 11 along with all the other heroes of the faith. He lived an entire life for himself spoiled his grace, spoiled his power, destroyed his life, but God's grace never left him. It's never too late. When you look at your own failure, will you close your eyes with me? I hear this song playing over you. When you look at your own failure, there's two responses. Many people feel remorse, so I should have done something different. I wish I could go back, and that could be a good start, but if you need to to keep moving, you've got to move on to repentance. Because remorse focuses on yourself and laments what you've done, but repentance looks to God and asks him to repair it. There is hope in repentance today. Remorse without repentance will turn to self-loathing or bitterness. I hate my life or I hate someone else. It's all their fault, but repentance means you own responsibility for what you did. But, and this is the key, repentance also accepts God's grace. There are so many things in life that you can't undo. Sin makes a mess, and maybe it's made a mess of your life. I don't know. You can't unsin, but you can repent. And repentance won't change your past, but if you repent, you can keep your past from defining your future. And there's this song, Amazing Grace. How sweet this sound. It's amazing because just like God hadn't given up on Samson, after all those years and doing everything wrong, God hasn't given up on you. Mm. It's amazing grace because God in his sovereignty has been at work in your life through your situations, drawing you piece by piece, step by step back to him. It's amazing grace because, like we said last week, you're not holding on to him nearly as tightly as he's holding on to you. Will you turn around and grab his hand today? In fact, I just, I don't even want to close the way we normally do right now. I want to just surrender a couple of moments to the Holy Spirit and allow him to speak to you. Just sit back and listen to the song. We'll come back up and we'll close in a couple of minutes. But will you just respond right where you're at to God and what he's saying to you about your life right now?